The left continues to push violence in a way they can't take responsibility for the violence when the violence actually happens. But the reality is they are responsible for the violence. Pro-abortionists have a new ally, and it really shows you what these people actually stand for. And a mental hospital in England shows us the true weakness in our medical industry. This is Gene, and you're listening to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Hey, hey, this is Gene. Welcome back to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Hope you had a great day yesterday. Okay, you know, I just I just finished volume one of a- uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn's the Gulag Archipelago. Now, I've read the book before. Okay, I, I have read, but I've read the abridged version, which is about 500 pages. Not very long. Someone said, you, gotta, you, you can't read the abridged version. You actually have to read the full text. And the full text is three volumes, average about 600 pages a volume, around 200, about 2,000 pages. And now I realize what this story is all about. And basically what it's about is Andre, Andre, Alexander Shulziskin was a guy who was in the, mil, in the military in the USSR, USSR, the Soviet Union. He fought against the Germans during World War II. And while he was on the battlefield, he was arrested because he had a correspondence with the Ukrainian. And with with all the the talk about Ukrainians uh, about racism and things in this country, just be aware. All you have to do is talk to the wrong race in the Soviet Union. By the way, it works like that in China too, which was one of the things you can get out of the book. And there, as I read Volume One, there are some major major takeaways that I think just in this first volume that one can can have simply about communism and you can make parallels to the way things are going today, which I think is one of the biggest takeaways in the entire book, but we'll, we'll get to that. First, things, first thing to know about this book is that Shulziskin actually did this as a literary experiment. So even though a lot of this book is true, some of it's not, but a lot of this book is true. A lot of this book has been confirmed as far as it can be confirmed. This was the Soviet Union, by the way. It, the book is, does not beat on a specific subject. And I think that's one of the reasons why this book is so popular. So, for example, the takeaways, they're there. He says it. But in the 600 pages of volume one, maybe he just mentions it slightly. And it isn't something that is really obvious or that he brings to a forefront, which is what makes reading the book very, you need to pay attention when you read the book. This is one book that I tried to actually listen to in on Audible. I tried to listen to the audio book. It doesn't work. Because it, it's very long-winded. And what has a tendency to happen with long-winded books, which, by the way, all Russian books are like that. Um, Shulzitskin's like that. Dostoevsky's like that. Tolstoy's like that. They're very difficult to read, to listen to, and actually absorb. The, the kicker is you need to read it to actually see some of the takeaways. 
So what are those takeaways? Well, the first takeaway is that the bureaucracy, and I think this is really the tone of the book, the bureaucracy and unmitigated, unfettered bureaucracy is evil. It can just destroy where the bureaucracy makes all the decisions. The bureaucracy doesn't have anyone to report to. It just does its own thing. And it doesn't have to worry about being, well, yeah, it does sort of, but it doesn't have to really worry about doing the wrong thing, no matter how immoral their actions are. Just do it. For example, creating fake charges. Uh, death, people dying because of their lack of care uh, in jail. I mean, if you can't, if you can imagine someone dying in prison in today's society, the problem with the gulag in in the Soviet Union back then, they didn't care. As a matter of fact, it was an inconvenience because they had to do something with the body. And of course, the soldiers didn't do anything with the body. They just made, made the prisoners deal with it. Or they just left the body there. There's a lack of caring. There's a there's just I've got my job. I just do my job. I do I half-ass it as much as possible. I mean, feeding the prisoners was half-assed. It was kind of they didn't the prisoners were not starving because they didn't have any food, which they didn't, but it's because the the people who were cooking it just didn't feel like doing it. Didn't feel like cooking and going through all this effort to make good, healthy food. They just threw gruel together and here, take it, and we're out of bread. Just deal with it. That kind of thing. That is the first thing. The bureaucracy doesn't care. It's lifeless. It's soulless. And when a country, when a government allows the bureaucracy to run things, bad things usually happen. We're ha- we see that right now in this country. Bureaucracies are running things. EPA, the IRS, the FBI, the CIA, the Department of Justice, the Department of Education, the Department of Energy, the Department of Transportation. All of these bureaucracies are running the country. You think Joe Biden or Congress or the Supreme Court is running the country? Of course not. As a matter of fact, we can take the Department of Education as an example. The Supreme Court rules that uh, the choosing someone because of their sex or race to get into a college is illegal. Well, what is what do the bureaucracy does? Okay, well, we're going to find a way around it. And we're going to go all the way around it. And then it's going to have to go through the cogs of the the legal system again it'll be struck down again but that'll be take that'll take years and meanwhile it'll be years the bureaucracy does what it wants to do before the court before the court rules against them and then the bureaucracy will have to figure out another way so equal opportunity or whatever it's called so this is one issue one major takeaway is the bureaucracy is evil The second takeaway is this can happen to anybody. That we talk about, it's kind of like the old German proverb where uh, first they took the Jews, but I did nothing because I'm not Jewish. Then uh, Then they took the scientists, but I'm not a scientist, so I didn't do anything about it. And then they took the Christians and they came for me, but 
there was no one left to stop them. That's exactly what the gulag system in the Soviet Union was like. And by the way, it's the same in China. It's the same in, it's the same right now in Hong Kong. It's the same in North Korea. It's the same in Russia now, Cuba. All socialist countries are like this, where they pick on a certain group of people. And it's the same in the United States. They pick on a certain group of people. And before you know it, now they're picking on everybody. The Soviet Union did that. Germany, Nazi Germany did that. All the thing that's that's the third point we'll get to in a second. The but everyone is in danger. In this country especially. There is something always delicious to look at and that is when the left eats itself. But the reality is conservatives shouldn't be celebrating that. They should be worried because that's exactly what they did in the Soviet Union. Is that yes, Everyone, all those conservatives were after all those conservatives, so the the left shouldn't worry, right? But then, wait a minute. Then there's a leftist who maybe kind of doesn't want to have 21 abortions. Then they go after that leftist, or that leftist made a comment that men shouldn't be competing in women's sports, and then they're condemned. Or you've got that leftist that supports Israel in, <coughs> in the Israel Hamas war. And then they're condemned. Here's the reality. When you, have a, when you have a government that's run by bureaucracy, when you have a government that doesn't have a rule of law, or that the rule of law is not equal for everybody, eventually everybody becomes, comes under that tyranny. No matter where you stood before. The Soviet Union, and he, he really, uh, Solzhitskin really pushes this, is that he was a soldier. He was an officer in the Uni in the Soviet Union, fighting against the Germans on the front line, and they arrested him while he was on the front line. He was a good Soviet. He was a good Russian. He was a good communist. Didn't matter. They took him. They arrested him. And then, of course, there's you. There's the racism thing. Everyone talks racism. Well, guess what? Just like the Nazis, the Ger the Russians imprisoned a lot of Jews. Why? Because they were Jewish. They imprisoned a lot of Christians. Why? Because they were Christian. They imprisoned a lot of priests. Why? Because they were religious. All this talk, if you were from Belarus, you were thrown in, in the gulag. If you were from Lithuania, you were thrown in the gulag. If you were Jewish, you were thrown in the gulag. If you were Catholic, you were thrown in the gulag. If you were black, you were thrown in the gulag. There weren't a lot of blacks, but they were thrown in the gulag. If you are not a secular Soviet citizen, you were thrown in the gulag, or Russian, Russian descent. You were thrown in the gulag. And of course, it depended. If you were Eastern Russian, you were thrown in the gulag. Racism always ends this way. And you can call that racism. It's not classism, but you can call it racism or whatever. The fact of the matter is, it always goes in the same direction. You take the, That's what makes this whole black supremacy thing that's happening in the United States so dangerous. is because eventually, white people will be thrown in prison simply because they're white people. By the way, if you were gay in, in the Soviet Union... You were thrown in prison.
being homosexual was seen as a German thing, a Nazi thing. I mean, there's just, just no covering it. Of course, you were also thrown in prison if you were an artist. You were thrown in prison if you were a philosopher. You were thrown in prison if you were an engineer. A lot of engineers were thrown in prison because they were smart. A lot of writers were thrown in prison. I mean, it's just, that's the whole problem. They come for everybody eventually. And then there are the little things. There are the little things you see. For example, there's the army. There's the police force. And then there is the GPU or the NKVD or the KGB, whatever you want to call them. There's the secret police. And these people have all rights to do whatever they want with bureaucracy, with the approval of the bureaucracy. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound kind of like the BLM? Does that sound kind of like Antifa? Well, it is the same thing. These groups, usually thugs, end up becoming part of the strong arm of the country. And I, I've said this for a long time. Antifa and BLM, the reason their riots are supported is because their riots, they are the strong arm of the Democratic Party. They are the strong arm of the left. They are the black shirts. They are the brown shirts. Nazis had brown shirts. Italians, fascists had black shirts. The Soviet Union had the KGB which was had their names changed a bunch of... They, they went from GPU to MVD to uh, uh, KGB to NKVD to KGB. They've changed their names billions of times. One of the hardest things to read in the book is how many times the secret police changed their name. But they are the thugs. Uh, the strong arm, the thugs, the bullies of the Soviet Union. And the United States has the same thing. We've got the black, you know, like I said, Nazis had the brown shirts. The Italians had the black shirts. The uh, United States has Antifa and BLM. It's the same thing. They did the same things. Finally, another little thing that comes up, and you can combine these, is the revolution. They, all of these countries have a perpetual revolution. Cuba, uh, China, Soviet Union, even Russia today. They have North Korea, same thing. They, have, they are under a perpetual revolution against the tyrants of the right. Constant, it never ends. China, you cannot say communism is not embedded any more than it can be in China. It is completely embedded in China, yet they are in a constant revolution against the forces that are against communism. The Soviet Union, Cuba was the same way. Cuba, Castro, 60 years into his reign was talking about the revolution. There wasn't, no one was fighting against Cuba, but they're under a constant revolution against capitalism, against democracy, against the United States. Even though the United States just basically let Cuba be Cuba and didn't do anything with them. The Soviet Union is the same way, and we're the same way in this country. You talk about racism, for example. Reparations and all the 
racism will never be cured in the United States. Why? Because they never want it to be cured. That's what makes these race hustlers so horrific and so evil. They don't want to cure racism. Even when there is no racism, I think we could easily say racism is really on the back burner of problems in the United States. But it doesn't matter. It'll never be. We can give them, we can give blacks reparations, $5 million, all jobs and all this stuff, and it will never end racism. Blacks are under a constant revolution to end racism. And you see, we're going in 50 different areas where that's happening. Feminism. There is no way a woman in this country can say she is not equal under the law, under the work environment, under the economy, under government benefits, under any way can a woman sit there and say that she is being oppressed. If anything, she is a victim class and she is at revered. But women are still complaining about misogyny and the patriarchy and blah, 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 blah. It's all bullshit because it's just going to be a perpetual revolution. There will always be feminism because there will always be misogyny because we're always going to be under that revolution. It's never going to go away. Even if every bit of misogyny and racism were ripped out of this country, it's still going to be there. And they're still going to be fighting this phantom called racism and sexism. The Soviet Union was notorious for that. You know, all the things they say, oh, and then they're little things, how they destroyed the country. How the, at the time, the Trotskyites and the Leninists, how they destroyed the Soviet Union. One of the ways they did it, they destroyed their history. One of the complaints of Sholzitskin during this book was that he wasn't sure about his statistics because there is no statistics. There is, they didn't keep statistics. They didn't keep any historical documentation in the Soviet Union. And it was very difficult to compare Tsarist Russia with Soviet Russia because they destroyed all the history of the Tsar. And the Soviet Union essentially started Russian history. And then half of the Soviet history was whitewashed. A movie called, the the TV series, the short TV series called Chernobyl really shows how the Soviet Union really tried to get rid of all of the issues surrounding the Chernobyl nuclear disaster and how their incompetence led to, incompetence through the bureaucracy led to that disaster. And even today, we only know so much about it because the Soviet Union hid it. And they destroyed their history. I mean, you can't, I bet you can't even name who the Tsar is, the last Tsar was. It was I think it was Nicholas. But that's the whole thing. You can't, you can't even name them because they wiped that part of their history so clean. Here's the thing. The reason this is so disturbing, the reason I'm, I'm going off kind of on a rant here on, on that book is because we're already heading in that direction. 
Everyone talks about how, oh no, we can do we can do socialism, communism. We can do it. Because we'll do it right. And I keep saying this. Well, you keep saying you're gonna do it right, yet you're you you're implementing the same policies for the same reasons, just different emergencies. Climate change, you think that's not part of this this revolution that is trying to be started by the left? Does anyone really believe that me not eating a steak is going to solve the weather? Does anyone truly believe? Of course they don't. Because you know who will not stop eating steak? The rich, the elite. They're not going to stop eating steak. They just want us to do it because it's all about control. Anyone tells you, hey, we're doing the same, we will do it differently than the Soviet Union. We will do it differently than China. Really? Because you're implementing the same policies as the Soviet Union, which, by the way, were the same policies of Nazism. That's another thing you can get out of this book. The difference between, even Schultziskin shows this in the book. Hey, you thought they were really hurting in Jews in Nazi Germany? Hey, you should see what we're doing here. He said this. We're taking if you're Jewish, that's enough. You're you're loaded onto a a, a a cattle car and sent to the gulag. You just have to be Jewish. You just but you also just have to be Ukrainian, just have to be Lithuanian, just have to be from Belarus, and we'll load you into that car. We keep saying that we can do it better, we can do it correctly, and yet we're following the same policies. The reality is communism doesn't work. Socialism doesn't work. And that's because people are the same. They never change. Communism would be a great idea. Marx's, a Marxist communist manifesto, great idea. The only problem it leaves out is people. It, it basically assumes that all people are going to be exactly the same. They're going to be no individuals. And then you find you implement that type of system and a bunch of individuals have their own opinions and those opinions go against the ideology of the government. What does the government do? Well, the government needs to keep running so the government will take those people that are just causing whole sorts of problems and throw them in jail. Well, the Soviet Union, the China, the Cuba, North Korea is just proven you can't really do that because 50% of your population will end up in jail. A wonderful book. Wonderful book. And by the way, it goes along other things like Ayana Hersey Ali, um, Yonemi Park, both from totalitarian societies. Ali was from a Muslim society. Park was from North Korea. They all say the same thing. There are other books I've read by other authors, like from Cuba. They say Cuba's ran the same way. Well, hell, we're for for a group of people that want Cuba to be who who love Che Guevara and think that we should run communism uh, communism in this country and just we just have to do it right. They sure praise J, Che Guevara quite a bit, wearing T-shirts and his beret and all that stuff. Che Guevara learned how to run a socialist government, a communist government from the Soviet Union. 
And supposedly the Soviet Union did it wrong. That's why they failed. Well, you guys are taking lessons and honoring a hero, Che Guevara, who did the same thing. How exactly are you going to do anything different? Wonderful book. You should really read it. Read all three volumes if you can. It is long. It is dry. It is very engaging, though. I mean, it's very, it's very good book. Okay, so let's get to our first story. Um, this is kind of interesting. I think it's not interesting. I think it's disturbing. So according to the Post Millennial, on Saturday, Business Insider ran a piece theorizing what would happen if former President Donald Trump were to die running for president in 2024, resulting in some pointing out the danger behind the messaging. There's a lot of danger behind the messaging. The, uh, in the article, the outlet went through several different hypothetical scenarios that could occur depending on whether the death occurred before the primary, during the primary, or between the primary and the general election. Do you notice something that these guys... They, okay, what happens if Donald Trump dies? Because he is 78 years old. Yeah, well, we'll get to... I'm sorry, we'll get to that. You know what? Skip it. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Let's read the article. Now, the article is not very long. It's, it's by Sanam Sheth, and it's titled... What happens if President Trump dies? And it's extremely short. It's only about 20 lines, maybe 300 words. And it goes over all this stuff. And of course, the big question is, why are you bringing this up? What if he, I don't know. What if he died? We'll figure it out when he dies, if he dies. But let, let's read this article. And here's something I will bring it up right now. Here's a question I have. Why don't they bring this up with Joe Biden? I don't know. You tell me. Okay, let's read this article because it's a really amazing article. So the title is, uh, What Happens if President Donald, if Donald J. Trump dies before running for the White House, before winning the election? And that's one. All right, so let's go. Former President Tr Donald, and this is by Sonam Sheth. If you want to know from the, which uh, result was it uh, from the uh, business insider again, business insider kind of tells me uh, why are they talking about this? I don't know. You, you tell me former president Donald Trump is far and away the Republican front runner heading into the 2024 election. He is 77 years old. He will be 78 in June. If Trump dies, that's number two, while seeking re-election, a few different things could happen depending on when he dies and how close, that's number three, how close it is to election day. Now, again, why aren't they talking about Joe Biden? Joe Biden is 82, but they bring up Donald Trump dying and they mentioned it already three times. Continuing, there's no national deadline to file to run for president of the United States Instead of filing deadlines, very, very dependent, depending, uh, instead, filing deadlines vary depending on the state and the party. There are currently eight declared candidates, including Trump, on the GOP side. If Trump were to die, that's number four, before January 1st, 2024, there would likely be other Republicans who want to jump into the race. Many states filing deadlines. Have, by the way, where did they come up with he could die before January 21st, 2024? 
You know, are they are they trying to predict something or are they trying to, you know, give some advice? Or are they kind of hoping? Is this a fever dream? If Trump, okay, if Trump died, number five, during the primary season, which ends in mid-June, some states may postpone their scheduled primaries. There's some precedent for this. At the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, more than a dozen states postponed their primaries or expanded vote-by-mail-in options, uh, which, by the way, really would have nothing to do with this. By the way, what would happen? They'd hold the elections. Okay, they'd still hold the elections. President Donald Trump might get all the votes, but then they just run the election again. Or they would take the second place. This is not, I, I'm sorry, this has been thought of. If Donald Trump died, number six, after the last primary contest before the Republican National Convention, the other GOP presidential candidates would have to make the case to every state delegation at the convention for why they should be the party's nominee. If Trump secured the GOP nomination but died, number seven, between the convention and election day 2024, the RNC would convene to select another presidential candidate. That's the article. That's it. That's the entire article. In that article, seven times they talk about President Trump dying. Now, you could sit there and say they're actually concerned. Okay, this could cause a constitutional crisis if the presidential nominee dies before the... You you could say that. Okay. Or you could say the... The uh, business insider is really hoping President Trump dies because the Republicans are going to be sent into a tailspin and then some candidate's just going to be nominated by the Republican convention, by committee. By the way, that's exactly what would happen. The president committee would, presidential committee would just nominate somebody else and that would be it. But they're hoping he dies so that a weaker candidate is thrown in there and Joe, by the way, a weaker candidate, I think you could put a retarded squirrel in there right now. It would be Joe Biden, especially looking at how uh, Donald Trump is faring right now. And then Joe Biden wins. That's what they're hoping for. Not to mention, this is kind of a, a you, we talk about dog whistles and I hate this term. This is a dog whistle. Hmm. If President Trump just died before January 1st, 2024. Or he died during the primaries. Huh. What would the Republicans do? They probably would have a kind of limits on what they could do. And then maybe Joe Biden could be president. I see absolutely no reason for this article. This is a stupid article. I think if I ever used the term dog whistle, it would be for an article like this. I mean, weren't out media outlets like this screaming and whining about the Supreme Court justices and how evil the Supreme Court justices are because they refuse to let the country just kill babies willy-nilly? Wasn't it uh, Chuck Schumer who sat there and said, hey, Judge Kavanaugh, you're going to feel the whirlwind? And then somebody went out to try and assassinate Kavanaugh? And by the way... No one talks about that guy anymore. But you got articles like this that come out. Pretty iffy, huh? Okay, I, this just can't be... 
this almost has to be a joke. It came from Salon. So this is this is from Salon.com. So I'm thinking it might be a joke, but probably not because it's just too weird for someone to make this stuff up. So according to this, on February 2nd, the Satanic Temple announced via Twitter that it will be opening an online abortion clinic in New Mexico in an effort to aid those living in the area who seek to end their pregnancies. The clinic, which saw saw its grand opening on Valentine's Day, is named the Samuel Alito Mom's Satanic Abortion Clinic, a pointed reference to Alito's writing of the majority opinion that overturned the rights to establish Roe v. Wade in 1973. Quote, The Satanic Temple Health is proud to announce the launch of Samuel Alito's Mom's Satanic Abortion Clinic in New Mexico, the temple tweeted early this Thursday. TST Health believes in honoring those like the clinic's namesake who couldn't choose legal abortion no matter how much they have wanted to. Well, I just want to, I just, by the way, Salon, a very leftist rag. They seem very comfortable with uh, aligning themselves up with Satanists, don't they? Listen, I mean, I think it's great. It's at least we see what they are. Abortion is evil. We've always said it's evil. It's satanic. And uh, I mean, basically, God in the Bible says that in 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 Exodus, "Thou shalt not." Uh, Offer your child to Morlock, Murloc, and Murloc, by the way, was the god that required uh, people to throw their children into fire so that they would burn to death as a sacrifice. I mean, he God's God said, "Don't do that." But that's what abortion is. It's satanic. It's evil. Even the le- a lot of leftists know it. They just don't care, and now they're even aligning themselves with it. Yeah, it's evil. Evil's great. By the way, my next book, which is called The Book of Herb, um, that's exactly what the book's about. It's people aligning itself with evil and how God has decided, you know something, I need to kind of even this out a little bit. And he's in the tricky situation. And it's either that or Armageddon. That's his decision. And that's his, by the way, with a capital H. So you know where I stand. That's his decision. Either I try and even this out or I call in the four horsemen and we get Armageddon on. That's that's the decision. But this is exactly what the book's about. It's about the evil in the world today and how the evil, it's not like God is being ignored. That's the one thing Satan loves. He wants to be ignored. Satan doesn't want to be ignored anymore. I mean, it's he's sticking it out there right now. Satan is just saying, here it is, here I am, yay. Here are the demons, yay. Why doesn't he want to hide anymore? Why, why should he hide? Everyone seems to embrace him and reject God. Before, he just didn't want you to believe in God. He didn't want you to believe in him. He wanted to just do his thing behind the shadows. Now, not only does he want you to believe there's a God, he wants you to hate him like we're doing right now. This is true evil. By the way, yes, I believe in Satan. Yes, I believe in Dayton, demons. 
Yes, I believe in possession. I also believe in God. I also believe Jesus Christ is the center of the universe. I believe in guardian angels, and I believe in angels. And I believe we have miracles every single freaking day. We just need to see it. I don't believe we need water turning into wine to be that miracle. It could be something as simple as I'm walking down a sidewalk and a woman loses control of her bike and I step right out of the, I see her, I lift my head just in time to see her, I step out of her way while she, she rides by. It could be that is a miracle where I didn't get hurt. And maybe that, and that guardian angel helped me out. I do believe that. And well, the Bible says it. But we can see what the left believes in. The left believes in it. And this is why we need to fight against abortion more. Yes, I, I, I've said in the previous podcast, it's not the biggest topic in the election. And I believe it's not the biggest. Well, if the left wants to make it the biggest topic, which is what they're trying to do right now, we need to embrace that topic and go after it. And say, you know, it's evil. Just like, the, just like cutting off the balls of a kid because he thinks he's a girl. Which, by the way, Satan actually believes too. And has been trying to push onto us for generations. I mean, it's been, he's been trying to push that on us for millennial. I mean, God had to make a rule that says a man cannot put on the clothes of a woman. He did that on purpose. Why? Because people were doing that crap 3,000 years ago. Okay. And our last story today, before we get to dumbasses of the day, um, this is a terrible story, and it's a terrible story for several reasons. So this comes from Fox News. It's not something you're going to hear anywhere. According to Fox News, a mother of two was admitted to a hospital in England following a mental health breakdown. She died. She died after drinking too much wa- water while staff were distracted by their phones, a recently concluded inquest into her death found. Michelle Whitehead, 45, was admitted into Millbrook Mental Health Unit in Sutton in Ashfield, near her home, in May 2021, the BBC reported. She began drinking water excessively while while in the unit and slipped into a coma after reaching dangerously low sodium levels, which led to brain swelling, the investigation found. Yes, you can drink too much water. You can actually drown yourself. So there's that. Despite psychogenic polydipsia being a well-known psychiatric disorder marked by excessive water drinking, the staff failed to diagnose Whitehead, and she continued to have unmonitored access to water. There's our first problem. The mental health system doesn't always work. Here's the problem with mental health right off the bat. It is theoretical. You don't get a Bachelor of Science in Psychiatry. You get a Bachelor of Arts in Psychiatry. It's not a real science. And the big problem I have with mental health, what they do with a lot of these people, they either throw them in a mental hospital where they will be ignored, which is what happened with this gal, or they drug them. And that's mental health today. It's not... Let's talk you let's let's talk through your problems anymore. Now it's drugs and institutionalization. Continuing, she was tranquilized, there we go. Then slipped into a coma, but the staff believed she had fallen asleep because they weren't paying attention. The Nottinghamshire Healthcare 
NHS Foundation Trust, which runs the Millbrook Mental Health Unit, said the staff failed on several levels, including inadequate monitoring while being, quote, distracted by the use of their personal mobile phones, an activity which is prohibited on the ward, end quote. Discontinued monitoring hours after she was tranquilized when she should have been washed until she was up again, and a delay in the duty doctor arriving and waiting 10 minutes to let paramedics inside the building to the investigation found uh, a psychiatrist does have medical training but that doesn't that's not they don't have the medical gear why it took 10 minutes to get someone who was in a coma to get help for someone i i don't understand now here's my problem with this and this is the entire medical industry we're all distracted the medical industry is becoming another bureaucracy, and it's getting worse now that we're going in, we're moving towards a single payer healthcare system. These people don't care. They get paid. They get paid for doing whatever. They're almost impossible to fire, and because they're unionized, and so they they sit there and they just hey they half ass it, and you know these people someone died someone died it's, it happens, and that's the problem. By the way, uh, the Gulag Archipelago really points this out. That's what's happening. And then people are on their phone. Get off your effing phones. What do you need to be? You're at work. But hey, that's a, I mean, this is something that happened apparently so often. They, they, okay. They're, they're on their phone. Yeah, it's against the policy to be on your phone. But, you know, yeah, she's asleep. We drugged her. She's asleep. She's not a big pain in the ass. This story also has other problems. I mean, it's just the uncaring of the medical industry promoted by governments through single-payer health care because they have socialized health care in England. And, and the unimportance of the regular person has got a mental health problem. person's not worth it. They probably would be recommending euthanasia for her the day before. The day, the day, next day, if she had come out of her coma. Another big problem with this, and this is what really bothers me about this, uh, is that one of the things I recommend in order to solve the homeless, drug, the homeless problem, the drug problem, is opening the sanitarium system again, which would be run by the government. Well, you know how this will fail. My idea will fail. If you run the sanitarium system like the government would run a sanitarium system, which is why the sanitarium system doesn't exist anymore. I always said you want to get rid of uh, homelessness. Well, you create the sanit a sanitarium system for the mentally ill. You create a separate sanitarium system for the drug addicted. And then you have obviously the prison system. You actually keep these three systems separate. None of them are voluntary. Right now what we do is we take the mentally ill, the drug addicted, and the criminal, and we put them in jail, in prison. I, I don't think we can do that. I don't think that solves anything. I think we need to separate the systems. But if this is how the government is going to run these systems, and I guarantee you this Millhook Mental Health Unit is probably really heavily financed by the British government. The sanitarium system won't work here either. And my idea will flop like crazy. 
And this is the problem, but this is the problem with healthcare. And this is the problem when you actually just don't put a value on human life. We see this in, in our society, we see this all the abortion, um, abortion, uh, sterilization and drugging of children who want to transition into something they can't, into a man or a woman, something they can't legally, they can't do physically. We see this with youth, with uh, um, euthanasia. We see this with the legalization of drugs. We see this in promoting of the homeless crisis. We see this in other things like trying to get rid of refrigeration, trying to get rid of meat, trying to get rid of our stoves, trying to get rid of electricity, trying to overall make the lives of people less happy, less content, less contentment, less convenient. Because human beings don't matter to the left. They really don't. And believe me, the, in England, they've got a leftist government. It is a leftist government. But the bureaucracy, I know that the prime minister is actually moderate centrist, but the English government, like the American government, the Canadian government, they're run by bureaucracies. Human beings don't matter. And because of that, you have this crap. We won't get to our dumbass of the day today. I ran long. God bless. Have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. This is Gene, and you've listened to Dumbasses Talking Politics.